Pastor Mark, thank you uh, for coming back for number round three. Round three. Round three. three. And we got the technology working today. We're got ready it to rock. Today. It doesn't always ready, work for yeah. us. That's okay, though. You know, we'll get there. So we've covered distinctions. We've covered, um, um, what was it? Faith, grace, sin, and works. Yep. Okay. Yep. I and like today, to call those the four key concepts in witnessing. Okay. Very good. And today we're going to cover the most Lutheran of topics, uh, law and gospel. So just before we get too into that, um, I don't know if I've brought it up yet or if people know yet, but um, truth and love, uh, pastor cares, and then you yourself, and I'm sure quite a few of y'all are all Wisconsin Evangelical Lutherans in it. Correct. So very much a Lutheran ministry. Yes. And, and I would say that the law gospel distinctive um, really comes out in a lot of what we do as a ministry. Um, maybe over the years, it's one where even before I joined Truth and Love, the law and gospel motif of conservative Lutheranism. I don't think even going through college or seminary, I was like, yay, law and gospel. That's what we're all about. Um, I don't think I was proud in the way that some are proud of it. But then as I started to meet people outside of conservative Lutheranism that were yeah. reading more conservative Lutheran, reading Luther, reading the Bible, and they mm -hmm. were coming to just treasure this law gospel distinctive. Yes. And they were, they were like, Pastor Mark, this is so beautiful. This is a treasure. And I think their view of it helped me see the treasure that it is, the treasure yeah. that God's word has these two incredible words that he gives to us. And if we properly communicate those, as Walter would say in his treatise on law and gospel, then we can become much more than just, I don't know, purveyors of good news, but we can actually be doctors. We can actually be surgeons yeah. when it comes to law and gospel. Yeah. It's, um, I tell you, um, Growing up, I grew up Pentecostal holiness. I know I've probably mentioned that a few times, but there is such a muddying of the waters around law and gospel, especially in holiness movements. Um, uh, people talk about how Wesley was a great theologian, and I just don't see it because, like, all these horrible, like, mixings of law and gospel, it's all anyway, that's a soapbox, but there's it, it's such a burden to think that um, that it's it's how Pastor Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith, puts it, that the gospel is for the unbeliever, but now you're in, so now it's the law for the believer. And that's such a huge burden, man. It's such a weight. Yeah, wow. Um, so, yeah, really, anyway, really glad to see law-gospel distinction and how we use this effectively to reach out to uh, LDS folks. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. So what do we need to know about the Mormon view of law and gospel? Is it similar? Is it different? How does it matter? Yeah. So this is, this is more than nuanced um, because most <laughs> okay. false uh, versions of the Christian gospel, when they muddle law and gospel, it's harder to pick up on. Um, when it comes to the Mormon muddling of law and gospel, they, they, don't, they don't hide it. 
because they right. will call it the law of the gospel or the gospel of the law. And pretty much the Mormon gospel is not good news as we know it. Right. It's not God's grace for us in Jesus Christ completely making us his children, bringing us into a right relationship, giving us the forgiveness of sins. No, the gospel in Mormonism is the plan of salvation that is consisting of all of the laws and ordinances that are necessary in order to become an exalted being. And so they don't pull any punches. Um, when, when I ask them to d- distinguish between law and gospel, they can't do it. Um, their language wow. does not allow them to do it. Um, they, will, they will always fall into law mode. Um, there is really no good news. And that's, that's one place where I'll sometimes start is simply saying like the word oyangelion um, means good news. It, it, it's right. the angel announcing the good news. They did not come to give the good news of the law because the law can only condemn and convict. It cannot cure and bring about new life. Um, so when it comes to the law and the gospel in Mormonism, one of the places that you can take a Mormon to, or you can take a Christian to, to help them really understand what law and gospel in Mormonism is all about is actually in, not the Book of Mormon, um, it's not quite as well developed there, but in another extra biblical so-called scripture of Mormonism, Doctrine and Covenants, which was supposedly further revelations that Joseph Smith received. In chapter 76 of this book, um, verse 50 through 70 is I'm going to read some of this because it's going to just blow your mind and hopefully help you have a better understanding of this law and gospel muddling in Mormonism. So here's what the the writer says there. He says, and again, we bear record for we saw and heard, and this is the testimony of the gospel concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. They are those who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name, and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name, and this according to the commandment which he has given. Maybe up to that point, it doesn't sound terrible, like you're following the command to be baptized. Uh, we would call it's almost baptism. Pauline. It's almost Pauline, but here's where it flips. That, by keeping the commandments, so now we're in the plural, they might be washed and cleansed from all of their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who was ordained and sealed into this power. So this is getting into another nuance of Mormon theology, the idea of a restored first Aaronic and then Melchizedek priesthood that has the power and the authority to bestow these gifts. And who, overcome by faith, are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon those who are just and true. We're already starting to see the conditional nature of this gospel. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are those into whose hands the Father has given all things. They are those who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and his glory and are priests of the Most High. It goes on here to the list Melchizedek, Enoch, only begotten son. Here's where it gets important is later on in verse 20, or 62 where it says, These shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. These are they whom he shall bring with him when he shall come in the clouds of heaven to reign on earth over his people. These are they who shall have part in the first resurrection. These are they who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. These are they who come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. 
Skipping forward to verse 69. They, these are they who are just men made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his blood. These are those whose bodies are celestial, whose glory is that of the sun, even as the glory of God, the highest of all, whose glory is the sun of the firmament, as it is written of being typical. It's kind of muddled there. So much of that sounds close to biblical, doesn't it? But when you throw in all of these conditions of these things are given to those who are just or those who are righteous. Um, One of the distinctives of Lutheranism, again, is two kinds of righteousness that are presented in the Bible, Um, that there's both a vertical and a horizontal Mm -hmm. righteousness. There is the alien righteousness that is given to us from God. And then there is the active righteousness that we conduct as we serve God and our fellow man. Mormonism muddles those two, and they are almost Mm -hmm. always focused on the second kind of righteousness, that horizontal righteousness. They jump to that without having a proper alien righteousness understanding. They're kind of like Luther, right? Before his, if you want to use the idea of the Mormon shelf, his shelf breaks, all of his doubts um, really centered around this idea of righteousness when it came to the law. He thought he had to be righteous like God, and that was crushing him. That crushes so many of our Mormon friends, too, when they start to realize the weight of the law here. I have um, a thought and a question. Verse 52 of this Doctrine and Covenants 76, it says that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins. How wild that they take the actual baptismal language and apply it not to baptism, the thing that actually washes our sin away, 1 Peter 3.21, right? They, instead of doing that, they apply the baptismal language to keeping the commandments. Wow. Yeah, and this this is one of the many reasons that those who leave the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and enter into the true biblical Christian world often have a hard time with baptism um, because they have seen mm. it as this law-motivated thing that they do at age eight in order to make commitments to God for the rest of their life. And right. so many of them really struggle then when we use language from the Bible that says baptism saves. They're saying, so yeah. you're saying that baptism is necessary in order for salvation. I'll say, no, only because it's the means of grace, um, that it's right. different means, but because it's the means of grace. And many just can't wrap their mind around it. I'm actually preparing for this next year, a sermon on baptism when it comes to witnessing to Mormons, because so many of my Christian friends are just saying, I'm just really wrestling with helping Mormons see why this isn't law, but the baptism mm. is full gospel. Yeah. I, I have the same problem with my friends who are reformed, honestly. Yeah. Like, because, you know, they you want to look at baptism and you want to say, well, it's something you do. And it's, well, no, I don't baptize myself. Yep. It's passive, right? It's something being done to me. Yeah. And that that's, that's difficult to... Uh, Especially when a lot of American theology, um, LDS and non-LDS, uh, apparently, 
paint it as a choice you have to make first, right? So and something you're doing for God. Yeah. Right. The uh, the other thing that really bumps jumps out at me is 64. These are they who shall have part in the first resurrection. And that's cribbing some language from Revelation. Yeah. And pardon me if I'm incorrect here, lonely seminarian that I am. The first resurrection is regeneration. So for, for Mormonism, this, this is one of the parts of the plan of salvation that for so many of them, they don't even understand this. There are multiple resurrections. There's like the morning of the first resurrection, the morning or the evening of the first resurrection, the morning of the second resurrection. And many of them don't understand all of that, but really they believe that Christ is going to return and reign physically on earth for a thousand years. So they are millennial in that nature we could we could probably spend a whole conversation maybe with somebody else i I haven't really dove into that enough because it's not something i want to debate with mormons um it's not a matter of salvation type thing so they okay so to my christian ears first resurrection is regeneration yeah and the only other resurrection the only other yep. one is the resurrection. The resurrection. Right? Exactly. Jesus comes back, shout of an archangel, blast of a trumpet, yep. resurrection. Yep. But to Mormons, there are multiple resurrections. Multiple, multiple resurrections. Yeah. And I, I know you said for someone else, and, and we have more to get to here, but I just have to ask, does that mean multiple deaths? <sighs> and that's, that's where it gets kind of crazy because— okay. You ask them about that and like, well, what about all the people that are in the spirit world during these resurrections? Do they get (laughs) resurrected once and then they have to go through this all again and then they get resurrected again? And most of them are like, yeah, we're not quite sure how that all works. The devil really did a number with this one, man. uh, I mean, this is it it only sounds good until you start to tear it apart and then it just falls apart. And there's it's like an onion. Like there's just so many layers and layers and layers. There really are. It, and it's so funny because um, a lot of people will call it um, a man-made religion right off mm-hmm. the front. And almost it, like in its depth and complexity at this point, like like you really have to attribute it to the devil. You, you really I, do. Yeah. I don't want to offend anyone that may be LDS and listening, but it's just I don't know of any man that could yeah. come, come up with this. Yeah, you know, Wild, this sort of a yeah. distortion. Yeah. This, yeah, exactly. This yeah. thorough of a distortion. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So um, the Mormon view of long gospel mingles the two together. Yeah. Um, and, and how, like, so how is that different from the biblical Lutheran view then? That- yeah. No, that, that's a really good question. So I, I was going to give you a, a couple of more quotes about the law to help you kind of see this. Okay. And- Yes. One of them is from a book that is very commonly used. Um, it's a student manual. There's one for the Book of Mormon. There's one for Doctrine and Covenants. And this is in section 42, The Law of the Lord. It says this, and this is, you're just, your ears are going to hurt when you hear this. The word law, in a gospel sense, refers to the statutes, judgments, and principles of salvation revealed by the Lord to man. Did you hear that? Like, the, the law in a gospel sense. In a sense. gospel but, sense. Yeah. Um, Christ is the law. He gave it and embodies its principles. In this sense, the law of the Lord is a revelation of his character and attributes. God has given laws to assist us in our quest to become Mm. like the Father and the Son. 
No one can come to the father except through obedience to the laws. That no. Christ yes. Like when, no. when someone, when someone will say to me like, no, no, we don't teach that you, you're saved by works. I'll say maybe not works, but by the law. No one can come to the Father except through obedience to the law. And that's a quote from Doctrine and Covenants 132.12. The violation of these laws is what constitutes sin. I'll agree with that. Uh, the Lord, in his infinite wisdom and love, often gives laws to his children suited to their level of preparation. This really gets into another nuance of the Mormon view of the law, where they believe that God has given different types of law, lower laws, higher laws, renewed types of laws to people throughout time, really based on their ability to keep them. They believe that the law of Moses was a lower law, and the law mm. of Christ is actually a higher law. And so often when oh. you take them to saying like, the law has been fulfilled, they're like, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. But that's the, the lower law of Moses, not the higher law of Christ the higher law of Christ, which they will then take you to Matthew 5, which is Jesus just talking about the law of Moses. Um, right. They would say that's this new higher law. So going on, it says the law of Moses was given to prepare the children of Israel for higher laws. The laws given in section 42 were enabled to the saints to purify themselves in preparation for Zion. And those are those higher laws, supposedly, of Jesus. For them, the lesser law was temporary, preparatory, and now there's this new higher law. Again, it's such a thorough, thorough twisting of everything. Because, like, so in a way, in a way, you can almost see that, like, yeah, Christ does uh, have a higher, a higher law, but it is just the law of Moses. And all Christ is doing is showing what the actual law of Moses was and how lax we've gotten with it, right? Yeah. Um, he's not giving a new law. He's just telling you, you fail the law in every way, right? And you're relaxed about it. So, like, it's it's almost true, man. It's almost true. Golly. Yep. And that yeah, no one and, can come and, to the Father except through obedience to the law. To the law. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you you were just picking up on this this idea of Jesus in Matthew 5 a little bit more. And I, I just found another quote that is just um, even more recent. So this one's from the Come Follow Me resources. So the Come Follow Me resources in the LDS Church are kind of like their lectionary readings. So they okay. have a four-year cycle. And this last year, they were actually working through the New Testament. And we saw that as an opportunity to actually get our Christian witnesses to get Mormons to study the New Testament. It was a great right. opportunity. But this is from the resource from back in 2019. It says, the disciples would have been surprised to hear Jesus say that their righteousness needed to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, who prided themselves on how well they kept the law of Moses. But Jesus taught a higher law that not only elevates our actions, but also the thoughts and feelings that inspire them. This higher law required much, much more, the heart, soul, and mind, which I would say, yes, that's what Jesus is doing is he's, in a sense, restoring um, to the people what the law was supposed to be teaching them, right. that you could not fulfill this. He's saying, ultimately, any place in the Bible, specifically in Paul's epistles, where he is saying things about the scribes and the Pharisees not being able to keep the law, or Jesus is saying, oh, that's the lower law. But now there's a higher law that you need to be held to this new standard. 
which when I asked my Golly. friends, like, so if the scribes and Pharisees couldn't keep that lower law, how do you expect yourself to keep this even yeah. higher law? We do this, we do this thing where we paint the scribes and the Pharisees as yeah. the bad guys, right? Yep. But we forget that they really were holy men, that they, yes, they really be. did. Yeah. yeah, they kept the law and they, they kept the law uh, quite well, right? Like the sin of the Pharisees wasn't that they didn't keep the law uh, at all or what the sin of the Pharisees is that they, they, it was their hypocrisy or their idea that their purity of the law would save them. You know, like, but no one, no one argues that the men themselves weren't doing everything within their power to keep the law. Yeah. And I I would say that that's one of the, the many ways in which Mormons are like Pharisees, where they Mm -hmm. are in a sense, spiritually religious minded people that have a desire to have a relationship with God. But unfortunately it is one of legalism. Um, mm. I, I often talk to my Mormon friends about the difference, different ways that people respond when they hear the law. There's either, well, I can't keep that, so I'm going to live a life of licentiousness on one side or a life mm. of legalism on the other. And I tell them either one of those is equally damning. Either you're saying, yeah. I'm going to break all of the laws and make my own way that way, or I'm going to keep all of the laws. And I, I put air quotes there, keep all of the laws and find my own way in that way. Both of those disconnect us from God and the gospel. Hmm. Yeah. This is hard. Yeah, so maybe, maybe that's enough on the law itself in Mormonism, other than maybe to say that, you know, obviously many of our listeners are Lutheran that have grown up with really seeing the law as a curb, mirror, and guide. Um, mm-hmm. Mormons see the law as a ladder. Um, Joseph Smith is even wow. quoted to having said that the Ten Commandments are rungs on a ladder that enable us to climb the Heavenly Father. And really the whole wow. idea is that this ladder, this tool was given to us in order to provide us a way that we could climb out of the pit of sin and make our way to Heavenly Father. I, I shared this a little bit in the first episode where the atonement in Mormonism they believe really only deals with the problem of spiritual death or sorry, of physical death. And that Jesus makes it possible for everyone to be physically resurrected. But now as an individual, you have to work out the problem of sin. And it's through the keeping of commandments and ordinances, getting sealed in the temple and enduring to the end that you can climb that ladder out of the pit of sin. Um, And so One of the things I'll often use as kind of a transition from talking about the law to talking about the gospel with Mormons is to bring up this picture of the difference between a ladder and a mirror. And I'll say the law as a ladder tells me to climb, 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 climb. The mirror says, look at yourself and you can see that you are not keeping the commandments and therefore you are in need of spiritual cleansing. The mirror itself does not provide that spiritual cleansing, but it sends me toward the only thing that can. I, I even think about this. When I look in the mirror in the morning or after a, a workout and I look terrible, the mirror itself does not make me clean. 
but it can point me in the right direction of the shower or the bathtub where I can get clean. Um, right. That is, or it shows me my need for that. The gospel, then I will say to them, is the bathtub that we go to and we are cleansed in. So difference between a, the tool, ladder or mirror. Very big distinction there. So, so the purpose of the law in LDS theology is a ladder to climb to heaven, to be cleansed of your sin. The purpose of the law in Christian theology is, as you said, threefold, a curb, a, a mirror, and a guide. So the gospel what is the gospel and its purpose then? Yeah. And so this is where the gospel, you're going to say, didn't we just have this conversation? Because in Mormonism, <laughs> the gospel is really the law. So this is from what I would consider like their layman's kind of catechism. It's called their gospel topics essays. And in the um, entry on the gospel, it says this, the gospel is our heavenly father's plan of happiness. The central oh, doctrine of the gospel is the atonement of Christ. The prophet Joseph Smith said, the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are this. First, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, repentance. Third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. Fourth, a laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In its fullness, the gospel includes all of the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants. And here's the big word, necessary for mm. us to be exalted into the celestial kingdom. The Savior has promised that if we endure to the end, faithfully living the gospel, he will hold us guiltless before the Father at the final judgment. The fullness of the gospel has been preached in all ages when God's children have been prepared to receive it. In the latter days of the dispensation of the fullness of times, the gospel has been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. Did, did you catch all of that? At, at first it sounds, you know, baptism by immersion, you know, reception of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, those are all good things. But then all of a sudden, it flips the script completely. And the arrow yeah. that had been pointed down from God to us in the gospel is completely turned back up again. And now it is all about faithfully living these doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants that are necessary to be exalted. So Mormons will say that, like, the gospel in the most general sense is what Jesus did with the atonement that that applies to everybody. In a sense, that's their only good news, and that's the only free gift in Mormonism, is that physical resurrection from the dead. Everything else after that is the arrow pointing back up, the things that man must do then to make his way to God. The gospel in Mormonism only gets man to judgment day. It does not get <laughs> through it. Um, you're really left there to fend for yourself. And Jesus will say, yep, I woke them up from the dead. But now, in order to get through, they need to do it on their own. Man. <laughs> the, and, and the idea that the gospel is what gets you to Judgment Day totally sucks. Because, like, I'm going to get there on my own, bro. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm curious. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't need I don't need uh, help getting there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just if I could, it says faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we talked earlier about how faith is not uh, they're using faith in the way I would use faith. 
but the way they mean faith is generally nothing like the way I mean faith. Yeah. And so like, that doesn't make sense at all that primarily it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that yeah. faith is what acting out the doing the. Yeah. So, and, and for so many faith in Jesus is reverting back to what we read about a minute ago, that Jesus is the law. So it's mm. faith in Jesus really as your example. It's now yeah. I'm placing my faith that yes, he is going to physically resurrect me from the dead. But now my faith is really based on following his example. Um, I'm working on a, a devotion right now that is called Jesus isn't a guilt gift. Um, I had a, mm. a Mormon friend of mine say that she always viewed Jesus like a guilt gift. Um, she said that Jesus was like the um, weight set and workout program that her husband had bought her for Christmas one year. Um, it was not truly a gift because it came with condition. Um, and right. really what it said to her is you are not fit. Um, follow this fitness program and you can become fabulously fit like these beautiful people. And it said to her, wow. you're not enough. And she always felt that that's what the gift of Jesus was, was God saying, you are not enough. I'm going to give you Jesus so that you can follow his fitness coach example and listen to him and the commands that he gives you. And she always said her least favorite Christmas hymn ever was Joy to the World, because she said there was no joy at Christmas for her. Mm. Only guilt when she thought about the Christ child. I just thought that was a just a fabulous illustration she provided me with. Yeah. Also, um, for her husband, what a move. Yeah. What a, what a move. I am certain my wife would just bludgeon me to death with one oh, of yeah. the weights while I was asleep. A absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, wow. and she says, he meant it in the nicest possible <laughs> way. Sure. But, like, we've talked about wanting to get fit. No, I can buy these for myself, but you cannot buy them for me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so much of it is this idea that what God has done in the plan of happiness has provided us with a blueprint, or as Spencer W. Kimball, one of their previous presidents, says, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, has given us a map, a code of laws and commandments whereby we might attain perfection and eventually Godhood. This set of laws and ordinances is known as the gospel of Jesus Christ and is the mm. only plan which will exalt mankind. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the sole repository of this priceless program in its fullness, which is made available to those who accept it. The Lord restored his kingdom in these days with all of its gifts and powers and blessings. Any church that you know of may possibly be able to take you for a long ride and bring you some degree of peace and happiness and blessing, and they can carry you to the veil and drop you there. The Church of Jesus Christ picks you up on the side of the veil. If you live its commandments, carries you right through the veil as though it weren't there and on through the eternities to exaltation. So th this is another one of those places where we could probably talk about how the church itself becomes the idol of Mormonism. Family becomes wow, the idol of yeah. Mormonism. The church, you know, very much in a Roman Catholic sense, there is no salvation outside of the church or, or exaltation right. in this instance. It's, it's the, the choice of words too is so interesting. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the sole repository. Now that that's Max Catholic, yeah. the sole repository of this priceless gift of this priceless. No, it's of this priceless program. Yes. Yes. Yikes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, nice. and this is this is something that I'll I'll pull at sometimes with Mormons. I'll say like it doesn't seem like a real good deal that, that God has just given us blueprints and a plan of salvation rather than salvation itself. And they're like, well, he could have given us nothing. Um, he could have just left us here and told us to figure it out on our own. At least he's provided us with a roadmap. And I will tell wow. them it is an impossible roadmap that if you are trying to follow it on your own only leads to one place, right over the cliff into hell. Um, yeah. The, your, your best intentions will do only that for you. So, Pastor, I have to ask, um, the actual gospel, can you please articulate yeah. the actual gospel? That, that is a really good question. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a, a story to set this one up. So okay. uh, about a year ago, I was in Provo, Utah, which is one of the most Mormon cities in the entire world. And I had gone there for a conference called Faith After Mormonism. And I was there, it turned out four hours early. And so I said to myself, what do I do with four hours? And I thought, you know what? I spend most of my time trying to witness to Mormons. I need to talk to some ex-Mormons. And I thought, where can I find some ex-Mormons in Provo, Utah? And I looked up from my car across the parking lot from this church, and there was a coffee shop in Provo, Utah called Sunrise. And I thought, if there is a place in Provo, Utah to find ex-Mormons, it will be (laughs) in a coffee shop. shop. I was right. The moment I walked in, I could tell that almost everybody that was in there was ex-Mormon. So I sat down and was working on a sermon for the the coming Sunday. And this young college-age guy came up and he asked me what I was working on. And I told him, oh, I am a pastor. I'm writing a sermon about the gospel. And he proceeded to ask me, what is the gospel? Um, I explained to him this simple difference between the Mormon gospel and the Christian gospel. The Mormon gospel is always a Jesus who is the elder brother taskmaster saying, do, do, do more. Where the Christian gospel is simply saying to us, Jesus looking from the cross saying, done, to tell us die. It is finished. He has done something for us that we would never be able to accomplish for ourselves, not just in this lifetime, but in any sort of amount of lifetimes, whether it's a spirit world, it consists of hundreds of thousands of eons, we would not be able to do. Where the Mormon gospel says to us that you can become enough by your effort, the Christian gospel says to us that you are enough in Christ Jesus. The Mormon gospel says that you can become perfect through work. The Christian gospel says that you are perfect in Christ Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I went on giving him all sorts of comparisons of the different ways in which the gospel of Mormonism is really just a law that is trying to help you improve your condition so that you can save yourself. Where the Christian gospel is the good news that God looks at a world full of sinful people and acts. He does the work for us. He instigates the work. He gives us the work in Jesus. He brings us to faith in that work in Jesus. From the beginning to the end, the gospel is the work of God in us and through us, for us. Uh, Maybe that is one of the biggest parts of the gospel, is simply saying, 
he has done this for us. It's not an arrow pointing up from us to God, but it's what God has done for us. Um, the beautiful thing about that coffee shop was as soon as that young guy stopped talking to me, he got his books and left. And instantly, I, 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 I can't even elaborate on this enough. Like the moment he left, these two high school age girls jumped up from the table next to me came down and sat down at my table. And right away, I knew they were ex-Mormon. They, they both had green hair and like piercing yeah. in every part of the body that I could see that could take piercings. And they flopped down at the table and the one said, all right, we heard you're a Christian pastor and you used a word that we know, but you were describing it in a way that we've never heard before. And she said the thing that every Christian pastor just wants an unbeliever to say to them, will you just tell me what the gospel is? <laughs> And I was like, what? You just asked me the question I want every Mormon to ask me. What is the true biblical Christian gospel? Yeah, the, the gospel, I then said to her, is not what you were brought up thinking, that it's all about you and what you must do to have a right relationship with God. But it is the good news that from before the beginning of time, God had a plan in place to bring around restoration between sinful, dead human beings and a perfect and holy God, not through the works and efforts of man given to him in some sort of an elaborate plan that begins in the pre-mortal world and extends to a post-mortal life, but that in time, God sent his son to live, to die, and to be raised, not just so that I can get to judgment day, but so that on Judgment Day, Heavenly Father would look at each one of us and Jesus would look at each one of us and Jesus would say to Heavenly Father, this is another one I lived for. This is another one I died for. This is another one I rose for. He's with me. He can come in because of me. That's the good news, man. Not a yeah. ladder. Yeah. I, um, it's called Lutheran Answers. And uh, so people email me questions yeah and uh i had one come in tonight and he was from a non-denom sort of american evangelical background and he said you know I, it, witnessing was such a big part of the church that i was in before and i would always tell people oh well you know you have to you have to believe in jesus and you have to accept him into your heart and you do that because he loves you and this and that and he said you know now i'm into Lutheranism. I, I'm studying and I, I'm being confirmed in the Lutheran church. I'm convinced of it and all this. He said, but I still have this heart to witness to people. He said, but is it the, but what he said, what I'm telling them is that um, while you were yet dead in your trespasses and sins, Christ came to this earth, lived and died for you and rose again that you might be with him and the father in paradise now repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He said, is this the gospel? Like, is this what I preach? Like, how, how close am I to the mark? You got it, buddy. You nice. got it. Like, that's nailed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. What, uh, what's, what's my next, what's my next question here, Pastor? Uh, uh, what is the proper distinction then, since they muddy it up so bad, What's the proper distinction between law and gospel? And then when is it proper to apply the law and when is it proper to apply the gospel? 
And that, my young friend, is an art form that Luther said will take a lifetime to get <laughs> that, that proper distinction. You know, I, I think, you know, simple ways of thinking about it is the law says do, the gospel says done. The law demands, the gospel delivers. Um, the law convicts, the gospel consoles. You know, it, it's all of these contrasts that are, are really yeah. prevalent throughout the Bible. I, I'd love to do. If I'm ever a, a more traditional preaching pastor again, sometime like just a, all of the different distinctions there, like law versus gospel in all of those different ways. And really to think about like everything that the law demands, the gospel delivers in the person and the work of Christ Jesus. Wow. Even faith, yeah. like even faith itself is given to us. Like, and, and that's, that's the part that like most Christians have the hardest time letting go of like, let mm. me do something. No, the gospel says you, you, you can't do something. The law says you can't do something. The gospel says the good news is you don't have to. It's all been done for you. Um, proper distinction when it comes to Mormons is sometimes difficult. When you're in a conversation, often I will encourage Christian witnesses to really watch for the nonverbals as they are speaking or preaching or teaching law messages. If it looks like the person is being completely burdened and broken, it may be time to shift to talking about the gospel. Um, most Mormons have never heard the Christian gospel. Um, they have heard only a distortion of the Christian gospel, which they, they say is just, oh, that's just free for nothing. You know, you can do whatever you want. You can go out and sin. That's not the gospel. Um, and so often I will say, preach the law. Don't pull your punches. But don't forget the gospel, either, because Romans says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of how many people? Of everyone who believes. We are not going to law someone into the kingdom of God and into eternal life. Only the gospel can do that. And so at some point, I will say, you got to get to the gospel. And whether that's in your first conversation or your 10th conversation, that really depends on time. You know, so often if I've got a two hour plane ride with someone that I, I'm never going to see again, I'm going to spend probably the first hour hitting the law pretty hard, but then I want to spend the next hour building them up with the gospel. Um, sometimes with the missionaries that come and sit at my table, it'll be law for seven weeks in a row because they just aren't ready for the gospel. They are proud. They are arrogant. They are conceited. They think they are pulling it off. So I've got to just crush them with the law. But eventually, if I know that their time with me is soon to expire, I'm going to have one final come to Jesus law preaching moment of if you follow this path, it ends in only one place, in eternal damnation, not just being stopped up from pre uh, preventing you from getting to the celestial kingdom, but you will end up in the outer darkness of hell. And then I will tell them, but I have a God who says you don't have to end up there, that there is a way made through the person and the work of Christ Jesus that can prevent that from happening. And then I will transition into preaching and teaching the gospel to them right then and there. Um, many Christians fail to ever do that specifically with those missionaries. They want to just give them law, 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 but never actually give them the gospel. So again, it, it's an art form. Um, there is no true, like, two-part um, evangelism thing that works in every situation. And, and one that, and I think even in my own preaching, I've had to 
really think this through, where a lot of Lutheran preachers, we kind of have a two-part sermon that is part one, law, part two, gospel. But even Jesus and the apostles didn't always lay it out that cleanly, law, gospel. There were times where it's law, gospel, law, more gospel. And so even in conversations with Mormons, I will go back and forth between law and gospel, depending on which portion of scripture I'm using at that point in order to share with them. I would say, ultimately, we can talk about law and gospel. But there is a difference from between just talking about law and gospel and actually sharing law and gospel with them. And so rely on the power of the word. Um, the law and the gospel are interwoven throughout the 66 books of the Bible. So open the Bible and let the work of the Holy Spirit get to work with the law and the gospel proclamation. So get them into the word. Um, often yeah. Christians will ask me, well, Mormons don't trust the Bible. And I say, just because they don't trust the tool of the Bible, the sword of the, the Bible, does not mean that it will not pierce their hearts and That's their right. mind. And so we trust in the power of the word so we can continue to use it regardless of whether they believe it or not. I got in trouble with the um, with a super right-leaning, like, freaky hard right. Uh, sort of like trad crowd online because I was talking to somebody about this exact thing. And I said, you know what I have? So I have uh, quite a few gay friends. Um, I was involved. Uh, I worked at animal control and was involved in animal welfare for many years. And for some reason that just attracts the uh, LGBT crowd. I don't know what it is about that field, but that's where they're at. They're all there. So I have a lot of gay friends. And I said, you know, if one of my gay friends hearing me talk about my faith decides that I want to check this Christianity thing out and do it in a place that's comfortable for me, and they pick an ELCA or a PCUSA church that uses the lectionary, even if everything even, yep, is yep. wrong and everything yep. is off, they're still getting three chapters a week of the Bible crammed in their face. There you go. Yep. And you know what? That's better than nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because like, no matter what setting we're in, no matter what people think about the Bible, uh, at the end of the day, it is, in fact, a two edged sword living and active, able to pierce marrow to bone, et cetera, et cetera. It is. I mean, and it, it gets me to a, a point that I think is very important with reaching out to anyone in a missional context, LDS people, uh, LGBT people, et cetera, et cetera. You're not the person that's going to save them. You don't do the saving. Jesus does the saving. Third article, right? I believe that by my own faith and reason, I cannot believe, right? It's the Holy Spirit working that does yeah. the thing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um. I we we wanted to dip into two kind of two kinds of righteousness, yeah. Yeah, we 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 touched on it a little bit already, and I, I think it's one where for Mormons, really, really for any of us, just to have that proper understanding that the Bible does talk about two kinds of righteousness, from really the Old Testament to the New, and to really, as you're looking at a section of Scripture that's talking about righteousness, a good question to ask yourself. 
is this talking about the alien righteousness that has been given to me in Christ Jesus? Or is this talking about the righteousness that now as one that has been set apart as holy and perfect in the eyes of God, now this is what I do as I serve God and my fellow man. And really just thinking through that simple distinction there helps you when you're preparing for a Bible class or preaching a sermon or doing an evangelistic um, endeavor with a Mormon, um, because they immediately are going to jump to that second kind of righteousness. This is man's active righteousness in the world. And every verse they're going to read in that way. And so really just Mm -hmm. to simply stop and say, you know, first and foremost, the righteousness that the Bible is talking about is a righteousness that needs to come from outside of us, that is given to us freely in the person and work of Jesus. That is, it's not an enabling thing. It's not an infusing of like, oh, you do a little bit, he'll give you a little bit. You do a little bit, he'll give you a little bit. But no, this is, this is God for us. Um, Luther has a great sermon on the two kinds of righteousness that he uses lots of different terms for that. I'd encourage you to check that out if it's something that interests you more. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a like a 90-minute workshop for a, a Lutheran church on Reformation Sunday on the two kinds of righteousness and witness. And I, I can send you that link, Remy, too, if you want to drop yes. that into your show notes on the yeah, two kinds of righteousness. We've probably given our folks a, enough to think about today, but um, if there's more questions on that in the future, we can dive into it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I was uh just typing it into the show notes to to put to make sure I get all that stuff in there. Um wonderful. Pastor Mark, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you. Yeah. And uh we got one more one more of these. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so we're, we'll take a look next at really some just simple conversation starters, um some things okay. to use. I will be bringing with me um to podcast a number of, um, we call them witnessing tracks um, that can either be something that you kind of learn and then just use off off the cuff, or it's something you could actually put in people's hands and talk to them about. And we'll make sure to give a link to where you can get your hands on those as well. Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, Very good. Pastor, thank you so much. And uh, God bless. Have a blessed day.